which, uh, man, I'm going to take you now to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. We're going to cover verse 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, Lord willing, cover the rest of the chapter. I know we, we're kind of slow boat to China because we like to dig deep, but I looked at these verses and it was in my heart to finish this chapter because there wasn't a whole lot that I needed, we could get stuck on. Sometimes, man, I don't like it, man, when I'm listening to a message and sometimes it's like there's so much gold to be mined in a certain area, you know, and sometimes it's passed over too quickly when I'm driving down the road, you know. Uh, it's a problem pastors have, you know, sometimes, I'll oh, say this and say that, you know. But God doesn't always put on our hearts to say the same things. That's why you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you know, Peter, Andrew, you know, uh, James. God puts and burns on uh, different leaders' hearts and so forth to say uh, and to emphasize certain things. And that's what uh, makes the body of Christ go around, so to speak. That doesn't mean every single teacher is saying what God wants him to say, you know, either. I'm not saying that because there's a lot of false teachers out there. There's a lot of wimpy teachers out there. There's a lot of compromised teachers out there who aren't speaking the truth. But, uh, but those who are in Christ, you know, there will be different emphases. You know, and some people, Paul said, you know, it's wrong to say I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter and I'm of Paul, you know. He said, are we not all, you know, servants of the Lord? Amen. So uh, when you have godly men, you, you, you say, praise God, God uses people differently because that brings balance also to our walks. Amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 4. Oh, man, this has been a, we've been in this chapter a bit, not because we've spent so many weeks in this chapter. We've done quite a few, you know, devotional teachings along the way, uh, uh, holiday teachings as well. So, uh, you know, topical teachings as well, but we've spent a lot of time in the text, but we've been back and forth a little bit. So I was excited to finish chapter four. Uh, we'll go through chapter five and six at a pretty good clip, and then I'm excited about what we're going to go through this year in the Word of God together, and how the Lord's going to stretch us both on, uh, on Sundays and on uh, Wednesday evenings, and with what the fellowship's doing elsewhere. But I want you to pick it up now in verse, 10, verse 11. We finished verse 10 last time uh, we had a couple messages on verse 10, actually. And then in verse 11, Paul says, prescribe. If you have the NIV, it says command. NISB is prescribe and teach these things. Command, and that word could be translated rightly, command or prescribe, and teach these things. Uh, what specifically is he talking about when he says to Timothy? Remember, Timothy was a young pastor. And he's saying, prescribe and teach these things. Uh, what specifically may he, what may he have in mind? That's a little bit debated because in in, he can't be super decisive on this because you could say everything he's shared up to that point, which is possible. Or he could be speaking more specifically about what he's just encouraged him in. Uh, when he warned in chapter 4, you know, that there'll be doctrines of demons and so forth and, and to be spiritually trained up and to be spiritually disciplined in your walk with God. And now physical discipline is good for a little in this life because your days are few. It's important, but not as important as spiritual discipline, which is forever, amen? And he could be speaking of those things or he could be speaking even more specifically in regard to what he just specifically mentioned in verse 10, right before verse 11, which he definitely has this in view, if he has anything as a view, it's, in, it's this verse, verse 10. For it is for this we labor and strive because we have fixed our hope on the living God, who is the Savior of who? All men. All men. Especially of who? Those who of believers. Amen. 
Uh, because that comes right before verse 11, prescribe and teach these things. And, you know, that we have our hope in the living God and that he's the savior of all men. And it's, it's especially of those who believe. And this very well could be his main focus here because look at what he says in, the ver in verse 9, right before verse 10. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. It's one of his trustworthy statements, uh, his declarations, you know. Uh, and then he it makes this emphasis. Uh, and then he says, command or prescribe these things. Amen? Amen. Prescribe these things. And uh, teach these things. And you notice, well, what would he be saying to emphasize then? I mean, why would he be, what would he be saying that we need to really emphasize what? That God is a Savior of who? Amen. And that he's a savior, especially of those who what? Believe. believe. That would mean he wants us to emphasize the fact that God has died. God became man and died for all people. Amen. Amen. And emphasize God's provision for all of humanity. But that his saving grace ultimately will only be appropriated by those who what? Believe. Those who believe. Amen. And I, I believe, you know, I don't want to be dogmatic on uh, whether he means the entire everything he's taught prior to this point, you know, uh, or just this mainly. But we know this mainly is at least in view. Amen. Yeah. No one would say, well, he can't mean what he just talked about because, that, well, that's what some scholars say only was really emphasizing some Bible commentators. Uh, but there's an emphasis here because he does. There is an emphasis. He's not only saying describe these things, right, and teach them. But he says two verses before that, what? This is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. That statement that God is the Savior of all men, and especially of those who believe, is bracketed by this is an important statement, and then prescribe and teach these things. Amen? Well, what's he saying that we need to make sure we keep teaching and that we keep emphasizing? It's a trustworthy statement that God's the Savior of who? Amen. All men, and especially of those who? Believe. believe. Amen. Absolutely. So why do you think as a pastor I'm always emphasizing Jesus died for everyone? Ha! Right there. You got it. Jim and Israel. Amen. Because he's saying to emphasize that. And why do you think we always emphasize you must put your trust in Christ to be saved though? Because he says especially for that who? Those who believe. So, it's, you know, I'm not going to stay here all night, but what's Paul saying needs to be emphasized? That God is what? Savior of all men. Of all men and, but, it's, but especially of those who? Believe. believe. He's only the Savior of all men in the sense that he provided the atonement of Christ for all men. Amen. But he's the Savior of whoever believes because they will actually appropriate his atonement. Amen. 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 And again, and then we'll move on. If you ever wonder, why does Joe always emphasize that Jesus died for everybody? Huh. Why does he always emphasize that? Because Paul says, emphasize it. Verse 9, yep. verse 11, emphasize it, okay? So, and also I do it because on a practical level, there are millions of people being taught that Jesus didn't die for everybody and wonder if Jesus really died for them. Thus, we go to the scripture and say, thus saith the Lord. And I can't tell you how many people have come and contacted our ministry saying, thank you for clearing this up for me. Because it's a dreadful thing when you even wonder if God loves you, amen? But having gone through, wow, we've just gone through verse 11 now. Let's go to verse uh, 12. Verse 12, Paul says to Timothy, let no one look down on your youthfulness. 
Don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. He's writing to Timothy, who is a young pastor. Now, the word youthfulness, if you study the Greek word there, it refers to those who are uh, in the Greek literature of the time, uh, Greek writings of the time, uh, in that area of the world, those who are 40 and younger. Okay? So if you're 40 and young, or younger, you're a young guy still. I'm, I just turned 60 in September, just like last year. Now it's last year already, man. It just goes fast. So I guess I'm not a young guy anymore, man. I used to tell people, because I started this fellowship, and I was a young guy. I was 27 when this fellowship started, you know? And people used to say to me, you're so young, you know? You're so young. I heard that all the time. And then one day I just didn't hear that anymore. <laughs> it just kind of just stopped, you know? I go, oh, I guess I'm not so young anymore. And then you know what I would hear? And I still hear it this day. Well, I saw your video. They sold their souls for rock and roll. You were, you were so young, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, and I'm like, yeah, you're right. I was so young, you know? And as you get older and I go to be with Jesus and I get resurrected, well, hopefully we'll all be young together, amen, for eternity. If you know Jesus, you will be. So, uh, but let no one look down on your youthfulness. And this, is a, this cuts both ways, you know, because what, what happens is sometimes people look down on pastors and lead, not just pastors, just people that are involved in ministry that are young. And this isn't just, Paul's writing to Timothy, a young pastor here, but there's so much that applies to us. Now, this applies to you, I believe. How could this apply to you if you're older? Because that, I think it applies to you that if you're older, uh, you shouldn't automatically write someone off because they're young in the faith. You know, when I was 27 years old, I started pastoring a church, but guess what? Years before that, for years, I'd been leading a ton of people to Christ through evangelism, speaking at a bunch of different churches. I still do, I do a lot of interviews, and I still speak at different places from time to time. But once the Lord called me to pastor full-time, I, I, you know, I, I couldn't go everywhere. But I was doing a lot of evangelism, seeing a lot of people come to Christ. The Lord knew that, and I love how he did it, because through the platform he gave me through pastoring, I was able to reach way more than if I just went church to church all the time. So the Lord is really good. I mean, he's doing all kinds of things. Uh, through the ministry and so forth. I just saw somebody, uh, there was some website, uh, I don't even know much about it because I don't know where the person's totally at, but, and I thought it was a, a guy's website, but it ended up being a girl's website, Josiah told me, but they, our ministry was contacted and say, hey, our channel is, you know, we're taking our stuff, no longer doing our stuff, and it was like dedicated to Ted Bundy and serial killers, and they said, and I, and I, and I read it, it was really precious, and it was like this, you know, they made a little video, and you could read the words, and it was like space in the background, some music, and, and they were saying, hey, we've been watch, I've been watching, uh, just letting my f- listeners, my followers know on this channel that I'm no longer going to be uploading and glamorizing evil, because I've been watching Good Fight stuff, and I want to let you guys know at Good Fight that my heart's changed. I'm paraphrasing it now, but because of your empathy and your warnings or severity and, you know, our emphasis on, on the Lord, you know, and so forth, uh, they said they were convicted no longer to promote evil on their web on their YouTube site, which is cool. Did you see that, Doug? Yeah, I just got back from Montana. It was pretty cool, uh, but it's great to see the effect that we're able to have. And uh, but if I would have looked down on my youthfulness, thought, man, I'm just too young. You know, I was witnessing and sharing and evangelizing at 18 years old. Right after I came to Jesus, I started telling people about Jesus, and I wasn't I wasn't like the super outgoing guy that I just like to go up to everybody and talk to everybody. People, I'm, Lord's made me much like that now, but I was kind of shy, especially when I was smoking pot, man. I just clammed up. 
Check out everybody. A little paranoid, you know. Laughing with my friends, but you're around new people you didn't know. But when I was not stoned when I was young, uh, I was probably your average guy, but not super talkative maybe with people I didn't know. Then I became a Christian. It was like, I got to tell people. And it wasn't like always super easy. To this day, I pray, Lord, give me boldness. I have to pray for that, you know. But God gives you boldness as you cry out to him. But as a young person, I knew God burned a message on my heart. So I didn't care if people, I didn't even think about, do people think I'm too young? I just shared, you know. But then when I became a pastor and I realized how young I was as a pastor and started hearing, wow, you're, that's a young pastor there. Then I started to think about it a little bit. But I knew the Lord called me. I had no doubt about it. From the Bible study that we had to some of you have heard the dream that was given to somebody that was crying out to help and the Lord showed that person that we were praying about starting a church and, they showed, and that person had not a clue about it and they, they saw us starting a church. They called from not in Simi Valley. Hey, I had this dream. It was pretty heavy. Called Lisa up and that person desperately needed a, a godly church and it's a deeper story than that but it was so powerful and Lisa's like, wow, I've been praying for confirmation and, and uh, from that time onward I knew I was supposed to pastor. And, but at the same time, it's important that you don't write off people because they're younger than you. You know? And uh, when Nick went up to, uh, you know, Idaho, I just praise God so many of those folks already knew him and knew his love for the Lord and his love for truth. Uh, and from what I'm seeing up there, they're not despising him because he's younger, you know. Because there's a lot of older believers that moved up there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm older now, so I can make these old jokes, you know. But, uh, but so one of my encouragements is for older folks by way of application is make sure you give young. You want to you base uh, whether you allow ministry to happen to you, whether the person loves the Lord, whether the Lord's first in their lives and whether they're in the Word and whether they're actually taking pains and growing in the Word and, and crying out in prayer for you so you can grow in the Lord. Amen? Those are the important things because God uses young people throughout Scripture. Jeremiah was pretty young when God called him to be a prophet. You know, Samuel was... Really young when God called him, right? Even Jeremiah, I mean, he was in his mother's womb. Now, he wasn't ministering then. He didn't come out saying, turn to Jesus, you know. But he was, he, but he was a young guy, you know. So, uh, but if you're young in the Lord, you know, and God's given you, and you love Jesus, don't think, man, I got to wait till I'm 70 before I can share the word. Wait till I'm Joe, Pastor Joe's age. I'm not 70, first of all. Okay, I'll be there pretty soon. But the main thing you want to think about is, Lord, what's your will for me? And use me to, to speak to others. We, our time here is short, amen? So I'm glad he uses young people. But a lot of young people sometimes look at their age as a handicap, you know? So if you're younger in the Lord, God wants to use you. He wants to speak to you. He wants to speak through you, you know? The disciples of Jesus were young. John was, we believe, the youngest of the apostles, man. And he wrote the Gospel of John. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote the book of Revelation, right? Oh, yeah. He was older when he wrote that, but that's five books he wrote, right? He might have been thinking one time, well, God won't use me like he will use these other folks. Man, he used him big time. So just crowd to the Lord. Lord, use me. And the Bible says, you know, don't despise the day of small beginnings in the book of Job. Some people say, oh, yeah, that's from the Bible? Yeah. No, no, that's from the Bible. And... Uh, it's important that we, we, we recognize uh, that the Lord wants to use all of us. It doesn't matter what age you are, He wants to use you. Amen? Amen. So look at chapter 12. Now, uh, He says not to, you know, let anyone despise your youth, but He can't ensure, He can't guarantee that somebody won't despise the fact that He's a young pastor. And we don't know how young. He, somewhere under 40. Could have been in his mid 30s, but had older 
you know, senior believers there at Ephesus. Or he could have been in his mid-20s. Could have been like me when I was 27 and started Blessed Hope Chapel. So somewhere around that age. So he can't, so, so how do you do, you know, ensure that that person, that others don't despise? He can't guarantee that, but he could do his part. And this is what we can all do as well. This is what we can do as well. Because he tells them at the second part of verse 12 what to do. But rather what? This is how he tells him to apply it. But rather in what? Verse 12, rather in what? Speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example to those who believe. In other words, this, Timothy, is how you ensure that others don't despise your youth because they'll see your example. And for your age, you know, they might think you're young, but they always say, wow, look at how this man, young man, has grown in the Lord. Look at what God has done in him. I want to be more like him. So he says, to be an example in what way? And he kind of closes with being an example there to those who believe. But he says, rather, and what's the first thing on his list there? Speech. And this is for all of us. You don't want anybody to despise you if you're younger than the Lord. So he says in verse 12 of chapter 4, uh, to watch your speech, to be, you know, make sure your speech is right, make sure it's good. And this is for all of us. This applies to all of us, amen? Because people could just despise you because you're in the Lord just because you're in the Lord and they're not Christians, amen? Or because you're too old or because you're too young or because you're middle-aged or whatever. Uh, speech is huge. Speech is such an important part of our walk. Because if your speech is messed up and it's not consistent with your claim to be a Christian, it's going to be a stumbling block both to believers and to non-believers. Amen? You know what I hear sometimes? I'll say, hey, is, 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 uh, somebody will say, I'm working with somebody and they uh, claim to be a Christian or I work, you know, and I'll say, hey, uh, oh, are, you know, this person is really kind. Oh, they say they go, I go, are they at church? And they'll, you know what they'll say sometimes? They'll say, no, they're not a Christian because they get drunk. I mean, they visibly get drunk, and they just talk about getting drunk with the. So not Christian. I'll say, yeah, that's right. Be not deceived. Drunkards will not inherit God's kingdom. So yeah, or are they a Christian? No, hardly, because the guy's cheating on his wife. He's always hitting on the other girls. You hear something like that, you know? But you know what else I hear? No, they're not a Christian, man, because they cuss like a sailor and they tell a bunch of dirty jokes. So guess what? God bless you, sister. Uh, if if in the world. They look at people, if they look at, they'll say, the world say sometimes, I worked and I try to be the best example I can. I wasn't perfect, but I try to be a great example. But I'd hear them say things and you'd hear them say, or I'd hear reports of this. Oh, so-and-so's a Christian, but that guy's not a Christian. Because he does everything we do. Talks the same way we talk. He laughs at all the dirty jokes. The same. You hear it both ways. You hear it from believers, but you hear it from non-believers. They know who's serious. Those are the ones they'll mock. And they know who's a hypocrite. And they'll mock them behind their back. Because they'll go party with them and stuff, but then they'll mock them and say, this guy's such a hypocrite. And when they're really going through tough times, who do you think they go to? When they're really open themselves to the gospel, do you think they go to the hypocrite or the guy that's more serious? The guy that's more serious. But when you're a little kid, man, and I think they probably still do it today, one of the first things the doctor tells you is stick out your what? Tongue to see your health. Amen? And if your mouth is just filled with hatred and anger and bitterness and, and using God's name in vain and cursing, you know, we're, not, we're called not to use curse words, right? The word cussing comes from the word cursing. And the Bible says blessings and cursing should not come from the same mouth. Amen? And I speak this way to you because guess what? 
we're reading the word and I love you and I've got to speak the truth. So if you're having a trouble with your mouth right now, you know, be like the, the psalmist who said, Lord, put a guard over my mouth. Amen. I love the prayer. I pray this prayer myself at times, you know, you know, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you, Lord. Amen. We want, don't want to be thinking of wicked things and, right, fantasizing of wicked things and, you know, and, oh, I wish I could do this to my boss. Or we don't want to have words that are wicked. So we need to apply this to our lives. We, each of us needs to. So is there a line that you cross that you know, because you might, it might be acceptable to you, but the Bible says that which is acceptable to man is an abomination to God. There's things that can be acceptable to you that are an abomination to God. So you have to look at your speech and say, because the Bible says, in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. You don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. He, he lives in us, amen? And he, he's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. He's holy. He's pure. He created the universe. Father, Son, Holy Spirit all created the universe. And he's holy, holy, holy God is, amen? And if you use bad language and you bitter speech and you mock people and stuff and you're mean-spirited, that grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And you don't want to do that. Father, help us not to grieve your spirit. You want, to, you want the Holy Spirit to say, to be, you know, to have peace living in you. Amen. So if you're using language that, you know, how can I know the difference? Well, if Jesus comes back, right, in your lifetime, you're raptured. And he said, Well done, good and faithful servant, enter the, you know, the, the joy of the Lord. And you're in his presence, and there he is serving you. Would you tell dirty jokes? Would you use the same language you use right now in heaven? Then you shouldn't be using it now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're citizens of heaven, amen? So what kind of speech are you using? And would you use that speech in the presence of Jesus? Well, guess what? Jesus already lives in you. You're in the presence of Jesus. Amen? So repent of it. Or does the hmm, freedom to cuss and swear and want to make sure you seem cool around your workmates, is that more important to you than how you are around Jesus? And who matters more to you? Your workmates or Jesus? Or your friends that you hang out with? And are you really showing them Jesus by just being like them exactly or very close? You're not even really helping them. If you act just like them, they're not seeing a difference in you. I speak these things because I love you. And one of the things, man, I've been praying about for this new year, man, is just call my brothers and sisters out in love and, and make sure I'm doing it myself, and I am by the grace of God. Could ask my wife if I cuss. No, I don't. If I told her any jokes, she'll tell you I don't. And I'm around her more than anybody. I'm around her all day. She's my secretary. And I love it. We're not tired of each other yet, you know. Maybe wait till we're 85. We might be ready to go, you know. But I love her more and more, you know. Honestly, I could say that. Uh, is that true with you too, babe? Okay, praise the Lord. But you're in front of everybody. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we love each other dearly. It's all because of Jesus, you know. And my wife doesn't tell dirty jokes. My wife doesn't cuss, you know. You could ask our kids, you know. It's just the way, you know. It doesn't mean we've never, ever fallen short in any way. No, we've all fallen short in some ways. But man, you know, if you ask my son Josiah if he's ever heard me say a bad word, he'll say no. You know, I said, what was it, a few, uh, months ago, a few months ago, I spilled like hot scolding, you know, uh, broth on myself and I was bubbling up 
And a word came out. And I was like, ah, how did that happen? And then somebody came to me afterwards, Joe, that's not a bad word. Well, for me it is, you know. I don't like to say the word C-R-A-P. For me, that's a bad word. For a lot of people, it's not. For me, it's cussing. A lot of people, it's not. If you say to my presence, I'll just say it's not cussing for that person. It's not considered a bad word. But for me, I don't like to use that word. I mean, when I was a kid, I was brought up with the word bowel movement because I didn't know understand the word bowel movement. So so-and-so has to go bowel movement. Oh, let's come on. Let's get it right. I got to go bowel movement. You know, a little kid, a little three. I got to go bowel movement. And I'm like, and then later, bowel movement. I'm like, that's a bad word. That's disgusting. It's like picturesque. Come on, man. That's not a bad word. And I'm not saying CRP is a bad word. I'm just saying I'm comfortable with it personally coming out of my mouth. And I said it was a, another word, and it was like, somebody's like, Joe, that's not really a bad word. It's in the Bible. Yeah, but the way it came out, it was just, I was like, ah, and I don't say a word. My point is, is that we should take pains in trying to please the Lord, you know? And we should say, okay, am I using language that's befitting of the kingdom of God? Am I drawing people to Christ because they see I'm different? Or do they see me just like them and don't see a real change in my tongue? And, you know, out of the heart, the mouth speaks, Jesus said. Amen? And read James 3. It has a, I can't wait till we get in the book of James this year. You know? Such a powerful book, man. You think you're being called on the carpet right now. Just wait. But how many of you like to be challenged? How many here because you're challenged at times? You know? And that's one of the neat things I see in this fellowship. I told you before. Early on when this fellowship was so new, even before we got a building, a brother said, Scott Pruitt, he goes, Joe, I noticed in the fellowship, this church, he was coming from Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks, he goes, there's so many strong converts to actually live out their faith, you know? And, I, and to me, I thought, I don't know what we do different. I said, we just preach the word and, and say, follow the word, you know? Live what we read, amen? We don't dot I's, cross T's, and get too specific in how exactly it looks because then we can get legalistic. Oh, you got to do it exactly this way. No, but we say the word says this. You got to do this. Amen. This might look a little different for you than it looks for me, but man, you need to be obeying the word. Amen. And we see a difference in the lives of the brothers and sisters. And I was tripping out. I mentioned this in, it was before we actually, you know, got going, but it was so beautiful being at the Idaho Fellowship. And, and afterwards, I told you, man, I trip out by the grace of God. May it always be, Lord, that when this fellowship's over, half hour later, two thirds of the fellowship, it seems, is like still here fellowshipping, amen? And I was over there, and the fellowship was over, and guess what? Same thing happening. And I know, well, a lot of them came from here, but over there. But guess what? They have new people coming, and it's becoming contagious, amen? Okay. And Nick's preaching the word, and people are getting in the word. They're loving Jesus. And it's just, just a, a wonderful thing to see. And I, I spoke at a huge church, two, 3,000 people member church, at least. And I was invited. I spoke there a couple times. And, uh, when I spoke there, I've said this story before, it was kind of funny because at the end of the service, it was like everybody was just gone right away. It's a huge church. I'm like, where is everybody? There was a group of like 30, 35 people hanging out in one area. I'm like, oh, that's a cool area. And they're just hanging out still. Hope yeah, that's what happened. I went over and I said, hey, I was going to encourage these people, you know. It was my brother and sister from Blessed Hope Chapel visiting, you know. <laughs> I'm like, oh, figures, man. Well, that's a good thing because it showed that they want to actually encourage each other and be there and talk about the word and stuff together. Not that there weren't people like that in their fellowship, that fellowship. There were, you know. But I would never like being at the front of the church. I've gone to churches where the service is over, the pastor is gone. He's either gone, you don't see him again, or he's at the front door 
shaking people's hands while they get their rear ends out of the, the church building. And I'm like, that sends to me a bad message. Now, if you're a pastor listening, you do that. I know you're showing love and trying to reach everybody in a certain way. That's usually the motive right there. It's a good thing. But I think it's better when you hang out and fellowship with people. Amen. Have some elders come up so people can get prayer. Amen. And, uh, and encourage people in the Lord. So it's interesting. Uh, your speech really does matter. And uh, Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious. See, if I'm cussing like a sailor, am I being gracious in my speech? Yes or no? No. I can't obey that if I'm cussing like a sailor. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So man, I want, you know, and God wants, and that's why I want it, I want my words to be filled with grace. I want my wife and my children and my grandchildren, I want my brothers and sisters to see Christ in me, I, I, my heart. It's not like a, Lord, help me be graceful. I mean, I do pray that. But, I, but that's the way he's wired our hearts when we're born again. He, he wants us to be, he wants to fill us with his grace, amen? I just want to show his grace. He gave it to me. So I want to be merciful on everybody else. Now, I'm not saying there's not temptations, there's not struggles when you're in the heat of a battle or you're going through something. You do have to cry out, Lord, help me be merciful, help me be graceful at times. But it should be normative for us as Christians to have our speech filled with grace, where we have mercy on other people. We're not always trying to one-up others and not you know, filled with ambition and trying to put ourselves over our brothers and sisters. The disciples used to argue about who was greatest. Remember that? And Jesus says, if you want to be great in God's kingdom, he said to them, you've got to be the servant of all. And he washed their feet, amen? Because they were arguing about who's greatest. That's not grace. And let your words be seasoned with salt. What, what was salt for? The main thing that salt was for was it was a preservative. It preserved meat. They didn't have freezers, and they didn't have refrigerators. So, man, you didn't want your meat to go bad. So you would put that meat in, on, under salt. You put salt around it, and it would preserve it. It was huge. It was so important that, guess what? The Roman soldiers, they got paid in the form of salt because they could barter with it. And the word salary came from, S-A-L-A-R-Y, came from the word salt. Their salary. I mean, it has its history even going into our country with the salt mines and everything else and civil war and all that. Salt's so important. But you want your words to preserve the gospel of Jesus Christ. Your speech should be preserving. God's words preserved with you or without you, but you want it to be preserved in your life. Amen? You want it to be preserved in your ministry. We want the gospel of Jesus Christ to be preserved in our fellowship, that then when people come in, they know it's about Jesus. Amen for us. Amen? So, and you want your words, salt had incredible value. The, word, the world's conversations and the people we live around in the world, their, their conversations are so often just so empty. Remember Solomon when he talked about his life before he came to the Lord, he came back to the Lord? Everything was empty, vanity of vanities, right? Well, guess what? Then he realized the conclusion of things is to fear God and obey his commandments. And he said, serve the Lord in your youth. There he said that too in chapter 12. But you know what? It's a trip because when I think about that passage and I think about the emptiness, I think that's how the world is. They have no weightiness, no value to so many of their words. Amen? So when you're in conversation with the world, if you just shoot the breeze every time and say the same thing over and over and over again, you need to be, bring value into the conversation. Amen? Shine the light of Christ. Share the gospel. Share important things. It's hard sometimes, I know, because you're around people that don't know the Lord 
that don't believe, but we're here for a very short time, and we are ambassadors here for Christ. We're supposed to represent Jesus here, amen? So we need to do our job and be ambassadors and bring value into the conversation by sharing the love and the light of Christ. You know, and it's not easy, you know. And I've actually got better at that through my life. I can see times in my walk, even as a pastor, where it's easier now than it was when I was. And I used to, Lisa always says, you just share all the time with anybody. But I don't always feel like that. I sat next to people in the airplane like, Lord, how do I start a conversation here? Do I start a conversation here? Because sometimes people are just letting you know they don't want to talk to you. Or they don't want to talk. They're here just to... And I'm like, it's easier to die with your eyes open. No, I don't say that. That's not how I start. I've never started a conversation like that. But you try to think of something to say at times, you know. Usually I sit next to my wife, so I don't have to go through that too much. But I've tried to share in planes. And, but um, you just try to be a witness. Tracks. So easy to pass out a track. You know, how many of you don't raise your hands, but have tracks in your cars, in your purses? If you're a lady, a sister, you know, have the gospel in your purse. Have just a few tracks. I, oh, my, my purse is so heavy. Anyway, it's just, tracks are just making it even heavier. Well, take out four or five of your mirrors, you know? Get a little lighter, you know? I'm teasing. Most of you don't have four or five mirrors, but, uh, but you have other things that weigh things, man. How about the Word of God? It doesn't weigh very much, amen? And brothers, man, you can have a card. You know, I carry sometimes just cards that bring people to the gospel. I have tracks in my car. And just, we want to, our speech, that's part, that's an extension of your speech. You're sharing the gospel with people. If you have a hard time doing it with words, man, do it. Give them, give them the word, Amen. I've spent way too much time on this verse because I, I want to go all the way through verse 16 today. Uh, but uh, it's just things that are on my heart, you know. Peter declared in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. You want to have gentleness. You want to have respect when you speak to others. You want to speak the truth in love, you know. Um, I've been pastoring a long time here, you know what? And I've never had a shouting match with anybody yet in the church, you know. I've never, you know, by the grace of God. And I'm, guess what? Guess what's going to happen later tonight if you stay? Because Joe forgot to knock on wood. No, I say by the grace of God. It's by the grace of God, you know. I've stood up, had to stand up at times. You know, because we won't t- tolerate evil behavior or false doctrine that's destroying people in the church, you know, and have said some strong things. But you want to make sure you watch your speech. And Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.24, listen to what he said. And you can go there. You're, you're in 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy, just hang a right and go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at verse 24. Paul says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be what? Kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged. As a pastor, you get wronged. Ask Steve, as an elder, you get wronged. You're right, Steve? From time to time, right? Don't look at anybody right now, Steve, but you know. <laughs> with gentleness, correcting those, with gentleness, look at verse 25, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. 
Verse 26, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been led, held captive by him to do his will. Now, by saying that, I'm not saying I've never blown it. I know there's times where, you know, I was too strong with that Jehovah Witness at the door, you know. I could have been more gentle. Or I've gone through those times where, you know, I go through conviction and, and then God speaks to your heart and, and, and fine-tunes you, you know. But you have to bring it before the Lord. Amen? And, you know, sometimes... And I'll still do this, but if I see JWs or Mormons and I've got a little extra time, sometimes I'll pull over. Hey, did you ever check this out? You know, and uh, that's why sometimes I'm like, I got, I, I, I'm gonna be late. So, but usually if I'm late, it's just a few minutes. I'm not usually 10, 15 minutes late. But I've got to watch out, you know, for, you know, we got we to gotta watch what you say. And salt is good for value. Salt is good for preserving things. But salt also, guess what? It adds flavor. Aren't you grateful for salt? How many of you, I mean, not everybody can eat too much salt, you know, but they used to demonize salt. Now it's so important. Remember they used to demonize meat? Now they're like, oh, meat's so important now. Butter, remember they used to eat margin. I hated margin compared to butter. Even my dog Jarvis, if you got a stick of margin up there, he'll find it on the counter. He doesn't go up for many things, but he goes off for the, the butter, not the margin, the butter. Peanut butter was bad, remember that? Salt's bad. Too much salt. And you can't have too much salt, but most people don't have enough salt. Uh, many people. I shouldn't say most. Many people don't. Salt is uh, really, man, can enhance a, a piece of meat. Amen? It tastes, make it taste so much better. A lot of food. You ever put salt on just a salad? A salad. A salad's already, oh, they're pretty good already. Just put a little salt on there. If you can, I don't want to get in trouble with your doctor, but it enhances flavor. And guess what? As Christians, we should be able to, we should be enhancing our conversations with other people. Amen? Yeah. With our brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay, you guys have talked about who's in the Super Bowl for long enough. Let's talk about Jesus a little bit. I mean, you know, brothers and sisters, we talk about things, you know, that aren't necessarily bad, but if they preoccupy us, they could be, they can become destructive. So you want to make sure your main focus is Jesus. Amen? Not sports or anything else. And that can happen to, to people. So look at the next thing on Paul's list. And these are the ways that Paul is telling Timothy to ensure that others don't despise him in his professed faith. Not just speech, but what's the next thing on his list? Conduct. Amen. If you have the NIV, it says life. You know, your life. The, the Greek word can refer to your lifestyle, your, your conduct. Uh, your conduct uh, should reflect, and the idea there in the Greek is integrity. You know, and integrity, this word has a context depending on the context in which it, it finds itself. And it finds itself with all these words like speech, right? Faith, right? And integrity in this context is, is being one and having a wholeness. It can be translated wholeness, right? So when he's calling us to proper conduct, he's saying that these things, the faith and the love and, and the speech and the purity, uh, all these things should be taking place in your life in concert with one another. And you should be consistent uh, with Jesus' teaching. Because uh, this is how you're an example. Remember, the context here is Paul, being an is Paul telling Timothy how to be an example. Same with us. Paul says, to, or Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12, keep your behavior excellent. Keep your behavior what? Excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, observe them, glorify God in the day of salvation. That's a trippy verse because it shows you that a lot of Gentiles will seek to slander genuine believers. A lot of just worldly people. But if you keep your, your behavior excellent among them, 
they don't have any arrows to shoot at you except fictitious ones they make up and then they'll be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And you don't return evil for evil. You return good for evil and, and a blessing. And Paul says like putting burning coals on someone's head. What does that mean? Uh, that's in Romans 12. And, and, some, it's, and it's quoted from Proverbs, but it's in Romans chapter 12 as well uh, where Paul references uh, the burning coals on their head and not returning evil for evil. And it's a good question. Some believe it's a tradition where if somebody, and I don't say this is it, because I haven't been able to find a historical account where this actually was happening. Uh, it was, it's more of a hmm, hypothesis, is that when somebody's fire would burn out, right, they would go to their neighbor and see if they could get some hot coals from them. And they'd take them back on their head. And that was considered such a blessing to that person whose fire was going out. Wow, that person really blessed me. And if you don't return evil for evil, but a blessing instead, that will have that kind of impact on your neighbor. So I know we're not in that text, but since you asked what that means, that's, that's, a, that's one view that you see bandied about by commentators. Uh, although I haven't been able to find that as a, not that we, you can find that probably happening, and it's very possible, but, uh, and it very well could have come from that. But one thing we do know for sure, uh, you know, uh, it's go, it means your kindness is going to speak to them. And it could also be, though, conviction. Meaning, man, their heads are going to be burning with conviction of how wrong they are when you treat them good, you know? I know there's times, you know, uh, when my wife and I, when we were young believers, sometimes we would, you know, have an argument and a, a tiff, you know? And, you know, I was supposed to be the example. I'm the older Christian, you know, I'm discipling her, right? And I'm teaching her how to be Christ-like. And you know what? She was becoming really Christ-like. And I remember we were having a tiff, and, and uh, I wasn't done, and she was done. And I just kept going, you know, <laughs> making my point. You know how you're trying to get your point so they understand where you're coming from? And I, and I went too far. And I was convicted because guess what? She just was so sweet to me. Well, I just disagree, you know. Wait a minute. <laughs> I'm trying to get more out of you. Well, I just disagree. Sweet, Christ-like smile. And I'm like so convicted. I'm like, oh, she's doing to me what I always try to do to her. It's working too. Sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, baby. You know, I was grouchy or whatever, you know. So uh, God does that. The Holy Spirit works in our lives like that, you know. And, uh, and it's important that, that we are patient with each other, but that we have godly conduct. Amen? And that we, uh, you know, live our lives with integrity and that they're consistent. Our lifestyles are consistent with what Jesus has taught What's the next thing on the list? Love. Love. You know, he's saying be an example of love. John said, or Jesus said, uh, that they'll know you're my disciples by your what? Your love for one another. Amen. He prayed that as Christians we would love each other so that the world would know that the Father sent us. Amen. That's powerful stuff. And that means by you loving people, and the world's not used to seeing Christian love. I mean, they're not seeing it amongst each other. They don't even understand what love is. In fact, when you look at ancient societies before the impact of Christianity in the world, love was not considered a virtue. Benevolence was not largely considered a virtue. Uh, humility and, and putting others before yourself was considered like a weakness. Intuitively, people knew it was right. And you can find in some ancient history, because we're made in the image of God, you can find people uh, talking about love and how important it is. 
you know. But not, it's very abnormal to find that in ancient history, you know. Uh, but guess what? The world's been radically impacted by the gospel of Jesus Christ and his example and get the greatest love of all, amen. God leaves heaven, becomes a man, and dies in our place so we could be saved. And then Christians, the Christians were tripping people out. I mean, in the early centuries, the Romans were putting their, their babies on walls just to discard them, and Christians would go take them up and raise them in Christ. Or there were infirm, diseased people that were being booted out of homes, grandma or whoever, because she's sick and plagues her. And guess who would take them at the risk of their own lives into their homes and nurse them, and they wouldn't even know them? Christians. Amen? And guess what? Things are going to get uglier and uglier in this world that we live in. And as Christians, we ought to be showing love. Amen? You ought to be known by love, not by wearing a tinfoil hat. Amen? Some professing Christians are known by wearing a tinfoil hat. Every single conspiracy that comes around, they shout it from the rooftops. Then there's egg on their face later. Amen? Now, I'm not against, you know, what the Bible does talk about, a lot of conspiracies. It says, the last days, ten nations will give their power to the Antichrist. Amen? And all nations, kindreds, and, and tongues will worship the beast. And we see globalism. The Bible uses the word conspire, you know, how the wicked will conspire together. Amen? But you have to make sure something's real. You can't just read something on the Internet, you know, and say, oh, wow, well, this, this thing came down and... This guy says he has top-level clearance, and he saw this going down, and then the thing gets repeated over and over again as though it's truth. Know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff going. And then Christians just all of a sudden, they look funny because, wait, that didn't happen. And then sometimes there's things that are legitimately happening, right? And Christians don't want to talk about it at all. You know? It's like, wait a minute, man. Don't stick your head in the sand either. Be aware of things. But whatever the, the, the truth... By the way, if, we're love, if we love people, we keep God's commandments. One of God's commandments is not to bear false witness. So we don't want to bear false witness either in saying this is happening when it's not. Amen? But at the same time, we need to speak the truth. There's a lot of weird things going on right now. And the Bible says speak the truth in love. And the Bible says love rejoices in the truth. Amen? So we need to rejoice in the truth. Uh, but we need to walk in love. And that means we need to put others before ourselves we need, to, we need to be surrendered to Christ and love God with our whole heart, all our soul, all our strength. The great Shema of Israel, you know, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. You shall love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and all their strength and all thy mind, our might. Amen. That's the Shema of Israel. And teach it to your children and so forth. That word Shema comes from the word, that means hear. That's the word hear in Hebrew. Hear. And the idea is hear and obey. Love God with everything. So we want to make sure that we understand the great commandment. And Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, right? Love God with your whole heart, soul, all your strength. One place he said heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why you'll hear me quote it two different ways. Because he said it, we hear him say it two different ways at times. So if we don't have love, what does Paul say we are in 1 Corinthians 13? We're big zeros, man. We're nothing. So you cannot be a Christian and not have love. And if you're professing Christ, but you're an angry, mean-spirited person, you don't love anybody, you need to get on your knees and say, God, help me truly be born again. Or maybe you were born again, but your heart's just become hardened. And you say, Lord, soften my heart. Amen. I was just telling a young pastor. And by the way, David, it's good to see you, bro. The pastor of our uh, uh, little hiatus right now, but in uh, Costa Rica, fellowship there. Uh, we love you, bro. 
But I was telling him, I was telling David, and I was also telling Nick, another young pastor. Uh, how old are you, David? 37. 37. So he's under 40, so he's still young, guys. Okay. We, we established that at the beginning. You're still a young brother. You've got three years left, bro. <laughs> uh, but praise God, man. Uh, I was telling him, I was telling Nick too, you know. I was telling Nick what I told David is, as min- it's tough in ministry, but you have to have a thick skin and a soft heart. You know, and David said, I'm going to remember that. And I said, amen. And I don't think I ever said that before I even thought those words, but I was thinking it right then. I said, man, we have to have, as, and that, as Christians, you have to have a thick skin, man, and a soft heart. You can't just say, oh, I don't want to fellowship anymore because, you know, I'm the only one that has love. That's a lie, you know. You to, if you have love and mercy, you're going to continue to fellowship. And the Bible says it's to a person's, a man's glory to overlook a fault. Amen. So we also need to be able to see past things and, and love people. So we want to have, uh, next thing on the list is what? Faith. Faith. i got to speed up a little bit. Faith. Uh, the Greek word usually throughout the New Testament for faith that, almost always, is pistis. And it often means faithfulness. Because the same word, you know, is translated faith or trust or faithfulness. In this context is probably best translated faithfulness. Although faithfulness is just a continuation of faith. Trust. We ought to be, our lives should be marked by faith. You should be known as a person who is a person of faith, that you trust the Lord. You'll hear that, you know. So-and-so, you hear in the news, they'll talk about someone, or they'll talk about a sports star like Tim Tebow in the past, or they talk about other sports stars, and they say, you know, or, or an athlete, you know, or they'll talk about they're a person of faith, you know. Don't hear that so much about Hollywood hypocrites. I mean, Hollywood actors, you know, they're a person of faith. I'm not saying there's not any, but they're not going to get a whole lot of roles, right? You know, but, but faithfulness is the loyalty, adherence, a continuance in adhering to trusting Jesus, Amen. And that's part of being an example, is that you're a person of faith, that you walk by faith and not by sight, that you're not ruled by emotions and passions, and they, you don't allow you know, the winds of doctrine and, and feelings and things you go through to steer you all over the place. You're not like water, you know. James says, if anyone, you know, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally or generously and without reproach. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. And that man shall not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Be a double-minded man, he says, you know, unstable in all his ways. You don't want to be double-minded. You want to have your hope fixed and your focus fixed on Jesus. Amen? Because people that are double-minded, they just get washed all over the place. Like, like you ever been in the waves getting crashed by the water? California's been going through some weird things with waves lately, right? You know, the, the surf's coming up and people are getting pummeled on the streets because of, a, was it El Nino they said's coming back here? I've been out of the loop a little bit because I was out of town for a week and, and they're saying that thing's been coming for a long time. But you know what? We're not supposed to be governed by the waves of the sea, man. We're, our feet are supposed to be on the rock of Jesus, amen? amen? And we're supposed to be principled as people and we're supposed to walk in faith and our anchor, I love it. They're, they term anchor is only one time in the New Testament when it's not when it's used metaphorically that way, I should say. It's used other times of literal anchors, like in Acts 26 in Paul's voyage when they put out four anchors. But it's only used once metaphorically in the Scripture, and that's in the book of Hebrews, the end of chapter 6, where Christ is our anchor and he's our forerunner. You know? And, and those, so he's a forerunner already in heaven. He's our anchor. We're attached to him. He's our anchor. He's a solid hope. Amen? Aren't you glad that Jesus is our anchor? And that's awesome because our faith is in him. And in biblical times, guess what? 
You know, and that's pretty heavy in Hebrews, by the way, because in Hebrews chapter six, he's warning about falling away in chapter six, but he says Christ is our anchor, right? You want to hold to Christ, amen? But in chapter three, the first few verses, I'm sorry, of chapter two, verses one through three, he talks about uh, not, you know, uh, how neglecting your salvation and how shall we escape if we neglect our salvation and drift away. And it's a nautical term, it's a sailing term of a ship drifting away from its safe haven and being dashed on the rocks. Remember, Paul talks about to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 about false teachers who started off well, but then they drifted. Paul says in 1 Timothy that they've, their faith was shipwrecked. Amen? But I love, what, I love uh, that picture there in Hebrews chapter 6. I've been meditating on that, separate than this teaching. I wasn't going to bring in this teaching, but it's been something I was meditating upon off and on about a week ago for a little while. Very beautiful because guess what? They would put the anchors in the harbor far away from the ship to make sure they could bring the ship into the harbor so it wouldn't drift away. Well, guess what? Our anchor is Jesus, and he's our forerunner. He's already in the harbor. He's already in heaven. Amen? And you just stay connected to him through what? Through faith. You just keep trusting Jesus. Amen? And one day, I mean, the kingdom sure will be there, man. You'll be boom, you know, because we trust Jesus. If you die today and you're trusting Jesus, you're saved. Amen? Next thing, and purity. And purity, okay? And uh, it's interesting because the word purity also has that idea of integrity, uh, consistency. Uh, Jesus used the word purity, a different word, because this word is very rarely used, the word purity here, uh, in, in the Greek language, in the New Testament. Uh, but it speaks of, of, uh, of one who is consistent, Kind of like in your conduct, being consistent in your conduct. Uh, Jesus used the word pure. The pure in heart will see God, right? And the word Jesus uses a couple times throughout the Sermon on the Mount means unmixed. Unmixed. He talked about the person whose eye was full of, eyes were full of light rather than darkness, you know? So as Christians, again, we need to make sure that we aren't mixing evil with good. We have to be unevenly yoked together with unbelievers. What fellowship does light have with darkness, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. What, what uh, fellowship does the temple of God have with the temple of demons, amen, and idols, amen. So we want to make sure that we're pure before the Lord. Now look at chapter 4, verse 12, the last part of it. He says that, you know, again, to, to live their lives with what? In holy conduct and in, in love. First he says speech and conduct and love and, and purity and then he says something. I just, he just lays it out right there, and I think it's really neat. Show yourself a what? And what? An example of those who believe. I mean, you show yourself, Timothy, as an example of what it means to be a believer. And that's how they will not despise your youth. And by the way, you need to be involved. All of us are ministers. Everyone here is a minister. If you're a Christian, what is God's giving you a ministry? Remember what it is? The ministry of what? Reconciliation. Reconciliation. Very good. Okay. We talk about that from time to time. Yes, Paul says, if anyone be in Christ, is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away, and all things have become new. That's anybody that's in Christ. And then he goes on and he say he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And it says, though God was in us, begging people to be reconciled to God. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do through you. Yes, so you have a ministry, but this is how to grow in your ministry. You have a ministry. You do these things, and then you be an example. Show yourself an example to those who believe. Yeah. We're to be examples. Don't just tell people how to live. You make sure you're living it. I mean, if, if I didn't live for Christ in my daily life, if I didn't fear and love the Lord, 
You know, my wife wouldn't be in, when I love it. My, my wife's what, just, I love it, man. She's one of the most encouraging people when I preach. Because I'm preaching, she's usually going like this. Unless all this time you're going to tell me later, I just have some kind of kink in your neck. I don't know. But she's very encouraging, just there. She loves the Lord. She loves truth. And for years, she's just been stable and she's, you know, shakes her head. Amen. And you know what? It's a trip because, but if I lived a different life at home than I do up here, she would, she'd be shaking her head this way. And she probably wouldn't be doing it physically. She'd just like, oh, brother, rolling her eyes. What? You roll your eyes over and over again, baby? You know? I haven't had to say that to her. But, you know, you want to make sure you're an example. Amen? And when you're with your kids, you want to make sure you're an example of your kids. You can't just tell them what to do. You have to tell them how to live life. Amen? But you want to make sure you're being an example to them. I read about, you know, a, a dad that would use Abraham Lincoln. A lot of people use Abraham Lincoln as an example to their kids, you know, the continental United States and, you know, or the, you know, <laughs> Abraham Lincoln, but he's telling his kid, you know, you need to be more like Abraham Lincoln when he was your age. By your age, he was already walking 15 miles in the snow just to check out books at a library, son. And then he walked 15 miles back, son, at your age. And at your age, he would rock back and he'd read those books, son. He'd be more like Abraham Lincoln. But dad, what? At your age, he was already president of the United States, you know? <laughs> So you got to be careful with some of your examples, you know, because <laughs> sometimes we expect too much, you know, and we're like, and there's, you know, we don't want to be like Pharisees where they were binding on people things they couldn't even fulfill, right? We want to make sure we're loving our kids and that we, we're meek. And remember, Jesus gave the greatest example. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden, right? I'll give you rest of your souls. He says, learn from me. We, uh, he's gentle and humble. And we look at him. He's gentle and humble. We learn from him. It's like, what was Jesus like when he talked to people? Amen? Are you with me tonight? So we want to be examples. Amen? Now, you know, and that's one of the things I tried, you know, with my children is not just tell them. I didn't just say, hey, you need to be a missionary. I took them on mission trips. I took them out witnessing, you know. I didn't just tell them to love each other. They, they, we have to demonstrate that. And it's not easy because you go through trials. You're, you know, the bills are coming in. You're, you're oh, how am I going to get gas? I'm, i got work. I've got this crisis going on over here. And this kid's going through this. And my friend has that. And you can go through a lot of things. So it can be really hard. Life can be really tough. Amen? But that's why you have to cry out to God and say, God, have mercy on me. You said you would not give me more than a handle. It sure feels like it sometimes, Lord. But I take you at your word. And he, you have way more than you can handle, by the way, apart from him. But in him, it's not more than you can handle. Amen? So you rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. You cry out to God and, and seek him. So it's very, very important that we get this. And by being an example, man, it's so replete. The scripture's filled. I trip out because when I go through scripture, I'm like, wow, that's all over the New Testament of being an example. Titus 2.7, Paul writes to Titus, another young pastor, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. So brothers and sisters, man, be models of good works. Amen? There's a lot to do. There's a lot that needs to be done. Amen? Amen? So let's, you know, and praise God. I love seeing my brothers and sisters here like busy bees, man. Things be done at Blessed Hope. We need to take care of this. Oh, there's need some more child care. There's need, uh, you know, talk to Yasmin. Are we good with the child care, Yasmin? We need help. We're good. Thumbs up. Because we've got a bunch of busy bees, bees here that would say, hey, want to be busy in the work of the Lord. Amen? There are times where, you know, people get sick or, or they need a little bit of break or what have you. 
I'm sure Yasmin's like gonna shake her head. No, don't say that. You know, but uh, we can always use help in different areas. But I love how this fellowship rises up and people are busy doing the things of the Lord. Man, we went out sharing the gospel to Mexico one time on a mission trip. I was tripping out. It was like about almost 100 people or so, right around 100 people went on the mission trip. I'm like, praise God, that's an overseas, not overseas for us, right? But uh, that's an out of country mission. And that's good. So you guys, are, you're doing good, but we want to be examples to our kids and let them see what it means to live for Jesus. Amen. Matthew 5.16, Jesus says, In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Peter writes in 1 Peter 5.3, Not to be domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, Paul says, So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. In 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, Be imitators of me, as I am of Christ. Philippians 3.17, Paul says, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. So we're supposed to be examples to one another, amen? Yes. And you might say, man, Joe, I know I've been a bad example lately. Or have, just repent, cry out to God, say, God, have mercy on me. Help me to be a good example. 1 Timothy 1.16, yet for this reason I found mercy, Paul says, so that in me, as the foremost, Jesus might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who believe, would believe in him to eternal life. Give your testimony to people. Say, man, show yourself as an example. I was doomed without Jesus, but by his grace, I'm saved. And he saved me, amen? Oh, these are just such great passages. 2 Thessalonians 3.9, we give to uh, you in ourselves an example to imitate. Ephesians 5.1 and 2, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. First. John 2, 6, whoever says he abides in him, that's in Jesus, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. How do we become good examples? By following Jesus, who's the ultimate example. Jesus says, you've seen me, you've seen who? The Father. And Jesus says, the will of the Father, that we become like him. Amen. And Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And, and you know, Jesus said, when the disciple is done being discipled, the disciple will look like his master Amen? So, and Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you, the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And 2 Corinthians 3, 2 and 3 says, You yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone, to show that you are a letter from Christ. Okay? So, and it says, written by the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be letters. Right? Yeah. There's a gospel, you know, according to, you know, Jesse. The gospel according to Jim. I could just go throughout this room. There's a gospel. What kind of gospel are you preaching, you know? And you want your children to be radical for Jesus? You be radical for Jesus. Amen? You live for Jesus. Amen? Verse 13. Until I come, give attention to public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Okay, I don't need to spend a lot of time here because this is what we do. You see it all the time. Three things he mentions here. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture. Why do I read so much Scripture? Why do I quote so many verses? I'm commanded to. Plus, I don't believe I have anything to offer but God and Him and the Gospel. I'm just a vessel. Amen. I just preach the Word. 
I want you to leave filled with the Word. I want you to leave talking about the Word of God. I want you to talk about wanting to be more like Jesus and how, praise God, I was encouraged in this way. I was convicted in this way. And I want to be more like the Lord and praying and seeking Him. Amen? So that's why give attention, right, to the public reading of Scripture. And it's interesting that he says this here because most commentators will say he's talking about the Old Testament. And he is. They'll say because the New Testament wasn't written yet. But I beg to differ. Some of the New Testament was written by this time. How do I know this? Because in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 18, Paul quotes Deuteronomy chapter 5 where he says that not to you know, muzzle the ox while it feeds. Amen? He's talking about supporting leadership and ministry, right? Financially. But you know what else he says? And he says the Scripture says that, and the Scriptures say what? Amen. You got that, Israel? A laborer is worthy of his wages. Well, guess where he, Paul got that from? Luke 10, 7, you know, which cross-references with one of the other Gospels. So he got it from one of the two Gospels, and it's Scripture. It was already written. So that shows me at least one of the Gospels was already written in Paul's day. And Paul died in the 60s, by the way. So this is good for apologetics, by the way, when you're witnessing, and they say, well, the Bible wasn't written until this date. You know, No, they're so wrong, you know. Paul's words were called Scripture by Peter in 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 3, amen? amen. His words were called Scripture. And he was quoting Jesus' words as Scripture. So give reading to Scripture, which is what we do, also to exhortation. What's exhortation mean? Do you guys know? It means to warn, right? It means to warn, to admonish. Do we do that here at Blessed Hope? Yes, all the time. And give yourselves to teaching. What's teaching? Script isn't it the same as Scripture? Yeah, it's Scripture, but teaching is more codified of the doctrine in Scripture. Doctrine. So giving attention to the Scripture, to warning, exhortation, warning people, and to teaching, teaching what the Word of God says. Amen? And that's important. Why is that important? Because Paul said in the last days, in 2 Timothy, people will come with itching ears, and many will turn away from the truth, right? And they'll turn to people who tickle their ears and tell them what they want to hear. And that's all over right now. You just look at the internet, man. I mean, people always want to get a new prophecy from someone, you know. And they're, they've turned their... It's like, man, you want prophecy that's 100% accurate? Read the Word of God, you know. But they'll go to all these people, oh, I got a new prophecy. And all these people are making over and over again, so many of these people, false prophecies over and over again. Oh, I just got the date wrong. You said this would happen. Yeah, I just got the date wrong. Just wait a little, you know, 25 more years. Maybe before you die, it'll be fulfilled. You know, it's like, you're a false prophet, man. You know? And I get all this weird stuff going around, but he says to preach the word, Timothy says, Paul to Timothy, reprove, that means expose, reprove, that means rebuke, and exhort, you know, warn people. Uh, for time will come when they want to heed, heed sound doctrine. Okay? Uh, then he says, uh, and by the way, if you're looking for a church, and you're, and you're listening by way, and you're like, man, because I, I can't tell you how many people we get, you know, contact us through the internet. We love, by the way, our live stream audience. But so many of them say, I wish I was in Simi Valley. I wish I was in California. I go to Blessed Hope Chapel. They don't realize what they got. I think some of you do. But we got the Word of God. Amen? We, got, we, we love the truth. We got a bunch of brothers and sisters who love the truth here. But guess what? If you're looking for a sound church, look for a church that is giving attention to Scripture. Amen? Giving attention that doesn't just preach the promises, but gives exhortation, preaches the warnings. Amen? And, 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 and that teaches, gives attention to teaching sound doctrine. Okay, and, and if you say, I can't find one, well then, get together with some brothers and sisters in your home and break bread together. Amen? If there's lost people go there and you don't know any solid churches around, then baptize them 
In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. But make sure that you're biblical, amen. amen. And praise God, we encourage you to plug into the live stream, but we encourage you also to make sure you're fellowshipping with other people. And praise God, a lot of our live streamers, as we saw some of them visited from different places, even out of the country recently, uh, that get together online. It's beautiful to see. I'm looking at that clock, and I wish I could say, I wish I go through 14 and, and 15 and 16. Um, Good stuff? The rest of it's good stuff, too. But i, I got to stop because we have people in the nursery, you know? And uh, I want them to have good conduct and everything else when they're done, you know? <laughs> so, Father God, we love you so much. And uh, we'll finish this chapter up next week, Lord willing. We love you, Father. We praise you. And, Father, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you that's listening by way of live stream or in the building, that they'd recognize that. You are so good. And that you didn't only give your word, Father, which we're studying today, but you gave your son, the word made flesh, the second person of the triune Godhead. Jesus, he became the God-man, Jesus Christ, and gave himself on the cross, died in our place, paid for our sins so we could be forgiven, so that we could be saved. We thank you so much for Jesus. And Father, we pray in your son's name, if anybody that doesn't know him, We encourage you right now, if you don't know Jesus, embrace him right now. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent so you do not have to perish. Repent means to have a change of heart, change of mind, turn to him, away from darkness to the light of Christ. Embrace him as your Lord and Savior now, in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for everybody here. Help us if we have a problem with our mouth, if we get upset and we let bad words come out. Father, we pray that you would put a guard over our mouths and that you change our hearts, and that we'd be convicted by your Holy Spirit, and that we would have non-negotiables in our lives where we'd refuse to do certain things because we do not want to grieve you, and that you'd enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to walk in the light and to practice righteousness so we could be filled with love and faith and, and good godly speech and godly conduct and integrity, and we pray that we'd be examples to the flock and everyone around us. In Jesus' name, amen.